Hi, welcome to Coffee with the Sarlos. I'm Karen. I'm Kelly. We're on show three with Mr. Jim Lenups for our Remembrance Day series. Um, I know the first two episodes, uh, there were many things that were sort of updates um, to shows that he had done with us years ago. Mm -hmm. He's got new information that he put in those two shows. Um, and if you were following along, remembering that, today is where it gets real and new. Um, so we hope that you guys enjoy show three. Again, if you have the opportunity, we highly encourage that you watch the show so that you can follow along um, with the pictures and evidence that Jim has gathered over seven years of sessions with Karen. Enjoy. Jim, welcome back. Hi, Jim. Good afternoon. We are on day three of uh, the, the, oh, I was going to say adventure. And I mean this in a really wholehearted kind of way. The adventure of your grandfather's life, mm -hmm. not the adventure of war. Because I know, Jim, we've talked um, personally <laughs> before and after sessions where it may be appropriate to say like when you're, when you're sold on the military, they really sell it as an adventure, right? Yes, it was, it was even advertised as such. Yeah, for many, many years, decades. Oh, yeah. And, and what I want to use the word adventure for is his lifetime. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and this is not just his adventure. Uh, it's my adventure. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, which is really why I'm doing this, uh, uh, not only to get to know him in this time period, uh, but it also helps me get to know myself. So, uh, beautiful. Uh, I've seen such a relationship over the years between you and your grandpa, where he's, I mean, this is off topic today, but I've seen, and I won't divulge anything, Jim, but I've seen where he's popped in to chat with you about what's going on currently in your life and shown you that he's present. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, it's most wonderful because he's, he's actually being my, uh, my grandfather uh, that I didn't have when he was alive. Oh, and that has oh. nothing to do with him. It just happened just the way it happened. Mm -hmm. So I get that. Yeah, Same. So th <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> I get that, that you can have, say, a difficult relationship. We'll call it difficult. Um, or maybe, maybe it's just not there because they were dead or they lived in a different country, but that you don't have the relationship you want for whatever uh, reason yeah, and then our, yeah i get that it's our disconnect came uh when i joined the military it's like i pulled the plug on uh almost all my friendships uh not purposely to do that but it just happened that way you move into a totally different life you know we call it an adventure but it is a different life and you live in a bubble a totally different world, essentially. And uh, uh, since I retired, I've tried very hard to regain those friendships again, because uh, I'm not I'm not military anymore. Mm -hmm. So you, you leave that one, you have to go somewhere. So I, and and it's been a huge process for me. And and in a sense, getting to my grandfather is is another one of those friendships uh, that I mm -hmm. you know I'm getting back. So. And developing, creating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I've seen it properly, if I've seen it like that way and that's accurate, I, I've watched the two of you have some laughs over some of this shit. Oh, oh yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I've watched your face change in the session 
to surprise and happiness over some things. And sometimes when he talked about things that were going on in your current life, um, where I think anyway, you can correct me if I'm not saying this properly, but where it mattered to you that he knew that you were going through something. That definitely, definitely does. Um, he's like my, my go-to person, I guess. And Jim, like, if it, if it had to do with the fact that it had to do with that what you were going through was related to being in the military and coming out of the military and trying to recreate those relationships again, it appeared to me as an outsider that um, he was the only person that was going to understand what you were going through because you had to have gone through it. He had to have gone through it himself to understand how hard or what roadblocks you were, you were facing. Is that yeah, correct? That is, that is, that is exactly what it is. Mm. And, and, that, and that is a monstrous roadblock. Monstrous. Yeah. So uh, uh, in this way, you know, it's working for both of us. Uh, I'm getting to know what he would have gone through in understanding what I'm going through. Yeah. So uh, uh, it definitely, this came at the right time for me. <laughs> so Interesting. Let's get back to it. Okay. Rock and roll, Jim. <laughs> All right. So we're going to reverse just the hair. And we had grandfather captured uh, as prisoner of war and taken to uh, Posen. Now, as I alluded to in the last podcast, records do not show that he was there. There are no records. If someone that knows more than I do you know, can find these things, that'd be awesome. Uh, but grandfather himself alluded to the fact that his name was not recorded. He was not tattooed. He was not marked anyway. He wasn't given any special tags to identify him as a POW. Um, they just sent him there with the other lads that were with him. And uh, they went on their business for the six to eight weeks that they were there. Um, now we talked about the ring of forts in Posen and me trying to uh, get you, Karen, to, to point out which one of these ring of forts that he would have been sent to. That was me thinking that he would have been sent to one of these. And he, of course, came out and said he wasn't. Uh, he was just outside of that ring, just north of the city. And he referred to the letter B as a clue. Now, B, uh, we also found that the village of Biedrusko uh, was within a, a, a range, an army barracks and a range area that is used by the military then and now. And they were housed there. And there is proof of all that, that, that there were POWs there. There is another B. That camp was formerly called Stalag 21B. And that's an official designator given. Stalag camp for non-commissioned members, prisoners of war, that is. And 21 was just one of the numbers. Uh, you know they had more than 21. And B, I don't know what the B could be because there could be A, B, C, D within that camp designation. All of these places being in different locations as subcamps. So this one, 21B. So further to that, uh, trying to firmly identify that this was the place he went, um, it is recorded that prisoners there uh, were working on 
constructing concrete forms and, and pouring concrete for concrete railway ties. At that time in the war, Hitler had a big push to increase the capacity of his railway system, identifying that this was a major means of transportation, not just to get his captives to the places he wanted to keep them, but to move his troops and equipment forward and to other areas of Europe to keep the war effort moving uh, at, at a good rate of speed. So in this location, they were creating these concrete railway ties, as well as creating what is called dragon's teeth. And what that is, is a concrete form rather large. And what you do with it is you bury it, much like an iceberg, two thirds of the way in the ground. And it sticks out, I don't know, six, maybe six, five, six feet above the ground and, and forms a, a kind of a blunt point. It's rather large, very heavy and quite immovable. It is a barrier to ve vehicular traffic. So, you know, tracked vehicles, trucks, jeeps, whatever. Certainly troops can, can move through these things, but they can't bring their equipment with them. So it forms a pretty good barrier. And they were making these things here as well and then shipping them off to wherever they were needed. Um, uh, to add to a bit of proof uh, that my grandfather was involved in that, in my uncle's book again, I'll go back to that, um, he states that he was put to work here, working in uh, uh, dusty air, loading heavy bags of cement and other materials. So we've got a connection to concrete. So all of these little things, uh, you know, start to build a, a body of truth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, um, ultimately, it would be great to have a record that says, mm -hmm. look, here's his name, there he is. But we don't have that. And this was often the case as we grew to learn through over the years. Um, many people think the Germans. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say this, like this is separate from the story itself. But like as calm as Karen appears every time that you're able to offer up an <laughs> affirmation, I can speak as, you know, to someone in the in the home as you've been having your sessions pre-COVID that she's not this calm. She screams. <laughs> And then you just hear Jim laugh, Jim's laughter behind the door. And it's just like, I've, I have completely been on the outside of this journey that the two of you have been on with, with your grandfather, Jim, but it's actually been a pleasure to witness from the outside. Mm. Um, the joy that I can hear from the two of you and, and the, um, the relationship of trust that the two of you have built with one another. Oh, yeah, that's it's... very true. Yeah. This, yeah. this has been amazing. Yeah. And I also wanted to speak to the transformation as well, because hmm. Karen, I think you used to just shake in your boots every time Jim's oh. name was in your book. Oh yeah, I did. And it was like, oh fuck, what's <laughs> yeah. going to come through today? Oh, fuck, Jim Lennox is coming. What's going to happen? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because and in the beginning, you know, being served up riddles by, oh. by the dead people are, are not something that we have been really used to, certainly not to the degree that you're experiencing, mm -hmm. but also because it, it required her to sit back and wait and wait mm. and wait to see if affirmations would happen. And that was, you know, beginning, the beginning of building trust that you were even going to do something with the information. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Jim, I can remember times. Um, when you would walk in and say, before we're going to start the session today. And that, that piece, before we're going to start the session today, lasted 20 minutes. 
because you would come in and you would pull out one of your briefcases in your or your the the black folder that you had with the zipper and oh, yes, yes. you would pull out the sheets of paper and i would think oh christ what's he going to show me today <laughs> do i have to identify do i have to i just never knew and then it changed to bring it on jim what are you going to show me today because yeah, yeah. <laughs> because as you saw during these years at the beginning i would start this is this is when i started the sketching yeah this is when i started you were the first person that i ever started doing all of the note taking of where i just actually your grandfather would say write that down put that down on paper could you draw that please could you draw the dome could you make that cr cross could you you know make this this diagram your grandfather was somebody that pushed all of my gifts Mm -hmm. And he did that part. And then and I would say with your partnership, because you would come in and ask a question and he'd take up the challenge. And he would <laughs> and and he would say, So draw it. And I'm like, I can't draw anything. And because I'm not I'm I, I wasn't. I wasn't an artist. I wasn't doing anything. But I'd see it all on that shed in the backyard. And yes. you'd you'd sit back in your chair, lean back. And you never rushed me because, and I, I don't think I ever once used an eraser. I would sit with a pen mostly or a pencil, but I never erased. I just trusted that whatever your grandpa was showing me, I needed to put every single little mark down on the page, even if I thought it shouldn't look like that. So right. if there was going to be, you know, a spider and I think it should look a certain way, I couldn't draw it that way. I had to do what grandpa said to do. So I had to be, I'll say, a good servant or, or a good listener to the spirit world because you ended up teaching me that every time I trusted myself in that process of trying to figure out how to use these gifts, you'd come back at a later time and show me the diagram. You'd show me the print yeah. off the internet or out of a book or something and say, here it is. And I would realize how important it was that my ego and my fears had not overcome me. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, yeah. the beauty, the beauty, well, one of the beauties of this, and you not, you're saying you not know how to draw something because you don't even know what it is. Um, it becomes a non-biased diagram, you know. Uh, if, if I tell you to draw you know, uh, a particular flower that you have in your garden, you know what it looks like without even looking at it. Mm. So you can alter that diagram any way you want. Well, and then you're starting to look into your memory for it. Oh, absolutely. And, and with the grandpa, there's no, this is going to sound funny. I have no memory. <laughs> well, it's his, right? Yeah. And, and which memory. is actually serving a better purpose than yes. what Google Maps can even do because he's showing us what the 40s looked like yeah. instead oh, yeah. of today what was you know each and every session was was a thing of beauty um you know uh it, it was it was like i could almost see him take over your body mm -hmm. uh, and i don't mean figurative or, or like physically but you know uh you would do things with your hands your arms you'd look certain places uh, um then you'd draw a certain way or write something down a certain way and uh, some of that didn't look very natural at all, um, but it's uh, <laughs> that was incredibly polite, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
while we're live, right? Um, and then we're, uh, all of these little things meant something though. And I may have mentioned it in the past, if you go to a session with you and you basically close your eyes and you ignore all these little things, you may be missing something that is mm -hmm. very, very important that could connect all the little things that don't make any sense together. And uh, I see that in, in these drawings, I call them drawings, these doodles. <laughs> and uh, it's funny we talk about this because I was just looking at this one going, mother of God, is that hideous? Um, and, I, and I say that, uh, you know, uh, kind of lovingly, because if I showed this to you, you'd say worse. Um, and and <laughs> we, we may even touch on this when we actually get going here, um, because the evolution of our appointments was, was quite dramatic. Mm -hmm. You know, the first one was very testing the waters. That's my stupid phone. Just, <laughs> just one second, I'll kill that right now. Um, but uh, really, here's the technologically challenged Jim here trying to. Uh, That's okay. We just watched uh, Epic <laughs> News Fails Working From Home on YouTube. Oh, yeah? oh gosh, so good. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can play into a few of those, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, where were we? Uh, the evolution of our appointments. Um, you know, the first one, we were testing the waters. I think we were both yeah, mm. feeling out who mm -hmm. this person was in front of us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did. I had no idea what I was getting into. And uh, it turned out to be the most awesome thing ever. Um, but, you know, what, the way I'd ask questions at the onset are, was different than the way I ask my questions mm -hmm. now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way you would respond to my questions is different than the way you would respond now. I learned to ask questions. Your grandfather yeah. taught me that I had to ask and not make any assumptions from the spirit world. Right. There, there was a huge process in all of that. And I think too, Jim, um, it always weighed in on me that your background was as a as, um, police officer. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, oh yeah, it did. I remember the first time you came into the door and I don't even know how I found out you were an, uh, an officer, but, and that was your background. But once I knew it was like, okay, so do I ask different questions? I'm assuming he's going to want particular details for things that the expectation is going to be maybe to minutia and yeah. right. And oh, that yeah. maybe the questions after one session that you might come back five sessions later and re-ask those questions. So I just, I just gave it up to the truth. Right. I, I just gave it up to that. I assumed that whatever the spirit world was going to tell me was going to resonate and that I never had to worry about any of that. Yeah. I, you know, I did specifically when I started uh, approach it that way because I was still doing that job and uh, in my head anyway. And, um, very direct questions the way I would question anybody, but very quickly recognized that this was neither the time nor the place for that approach. There were, there were things greater than this whole, you know, me thing at working here, you know, I mean, I could ask any question I want. If he didn't want to answer it, 
or answer it the way I wanted it. I wasn't going to get it. And there was no amount of, you know, thumb screws or whatever that was going to make him say what he wanted to, what I wanted him to say, you know? So uh, I was taking what I was getting and learning how to come back and, and re-question those, those, those points that I, that I needed to discover. So, you know, I certainly changed throughout this whole process. And uh, you know what, it became more and more fun every time, every time. But I was still nervous showing up. You know, we're, we're going on seven years and I still get nervous, but it's a different kind of nervous. You know, I think nervous in, in a way that, you know, I, I'm talking with a person or, or a spirit that knows what I've done, uh, knows what I'm doing. Uh, um, and, and, and almost in a way that you, I find myself not wanting to insult the guy, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, it's interesting. You see the chair behind me. I always think he's sitting in it and, and, and I, I know he has to be there sometimes because, you know, I'll have my 10 questions, come see you. And every now and then he'll surprise me and I'll answer every one of them without even me, me even asking them. And, uh. So you just kind of sit back and go, oh, hell, right? You know, he, he, he's, he's running this show, you know. Yeah. Jim, I remember him, you coming in sometimes, and he, you would sit down. And he, after we went through consent, he would say, I'm not answering any of your questions today. Um, I'm going to talk to you about what's going on in your life. And right. we need to deal with some shit, Jim. Yeah, and, Jim needs an ass kicking, yeah. And he, he, it's exactly what he called it. He'd be like, no, no, you got to deal with some stuff going down, you know, <laughs> in, in some other area of your life. And he came in as a grandfather. And right. it's like, you're my grandson, and I'm going to grandfather you. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it wasn't necessarily wanted, um, but it was mm. always needed. Mm. So thankful, that's yeah. for sure. So yeah, no, this this has been an absolutely wonderful journey, and uh, I'm sure it's going to keep going that way too. Uh, learn everything, learn something new every day. Uh, quite miraculous, and, and this this whole thing, you know, there's stuff. World War II, big subject. Um, God, there's stuff I never even considered, you know, happened. Uh, that, that I had to look into, uh, you know, and it wasn't always because it had something to do with him, but for whatever reason, it steered me in that direction. And I got to learn that little tidbit uh, about the war, about that time period. And it just made the bigger package that much better. You know, you talk about learning about his travels here and his experiences, really how, 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 how flat and one dimensional that is if you don't know what happened around him that maybe caused this whole thing to happen in the first place mm. and the sights, the sounds, the smells, the reactions, everything makes that a real story. Um, you know, more of like a movie on paper than, than just, you know, reading a book that says, okay, on this date, I, you know, I got arrested and I, I got sent here. And then when I was there, I did this and then I went here and then I went here. Right. I'm tuning out, you know, it's like I'm reading Wikipedia and, uh, you know, I'm done in about five minutes. Um, this is more of a real life story that is put in a way that 
uh, um, makes you feel like you're in it. And that's really the beauty of this. So uh, can't be better, really. Other than maybe being able to see what you see, Karen. Sometimes I sit there in that chair and I go, oh, I'm going to remote view. And I'm just like, well, just send some of that shit my way. You know, like, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing it through your, your <laughs> eyes and, and you're putting it on paper the way you, you, what you think you see. And sometimes I think, well, if I could see it, because I know some of these things about the war mm. and more, some more technical stuff that I might be able to sort that shit out like right now. But I think this way is better um, because it, it, just, it just makes it grander. Um, Remember at times when he would show me certain things that I think, I don't know why, but one sticks out where I was really grateful that I grew up in a funeral home. And that I was so used to seeing dead bodies. Oh, oh, yes. And that I was used to seeing autopsies, that I was used to seeing... You're used the, to smelling. The, and smelling the different types of death, where somebody... We'd go in for lunch on a... You know, when I was in elementary school, up to grade eight, and you would smell a burnt body, a body found in the lake, a body, you know, that had been sitting in a house for three days versus three months. And I just, like all of those, and then you'd still eat your lunch, but you'd, you'd smell these things. And I just, I just had such an interest in um, knowing like the cause of death, just like the obit, obit forms. I always right. wanted to know primary cause and I was fascinated by secondary causes. And as I worked through high school and college years, how much I wanted to see that people didn't die just from a primary cause, that there were always there were often secondary issues. So when I was remote viewing, sometimes he'd say to me, remember like something about open up the box and I opened up the box and there were was there yeah. something. Yeah, okay. And yeah. um it, it was it was a good thing that I grew up in a funeral home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Like, and I was able to describe it, be technical about it and move on instead of feeling distraught and that, yeah. I, wanted, that I wanted to stop. Definitely beneficial because, you know, there were times when I'm like, you know, I don't even want to ask this mm -hmm. because I knew I was going to send you somewhere that I wouldn't even want to go. Yeah. And um, the reality is, is, is war is not a pretty thing. Yeah, and to and to eliminate that from the story doesn't really help the story any. You know, I think you need to understand. Everybody needs to understand it. People die, and people die horribly, mm. and um, that's part of it, and that's a lesson in itself. So to to wipe that out of this process um, wouldn't do him any justice either, because he saw this stuff. He went through this stuff. And after all, this is a story about him. So that needs to stay. So unfortunately, we had to go there. And uh, mm -hmm. we may have to again, who knows. But uh, yeah. Well, I think that's important because you're talking about knowing him more now than you did when he was alive. Yeah. And how withdrawn he was. Um, that this this time in his life was not spoken about. And when we, we want to know why. 
right? As, as family members, uh, one of the biggest things that we see in our clients is how come I wasn't enough for them to come outside of their own trauma, mm. right? And we, we get very egocentric about it, us not being enough. But if, if we have a situation like this where we can understand just how psychologically affected he was and how that impacted him physically as well, through the things that you're talking about, then we can start to understand that there was maybe an inability or a limitation on how much he could really give to us in spite of the desire. Oh, that is, that is, I would say, without being any kind of expert on the subject, uh, consistent with the way things still are. Mm -hmm. um, as a veteran, you know, certainly you've seen and done things that you regret. Um, you choose who you're going to talk to about it if you're going to talk to anybody at all mm -hmm. and there's no telling who that's going to be you'll get a feeling and you'll just say you know what i think i can talk to this person you know you'll go through 10 therapists you know now nah, i'm out of here um it's just there has to be the right connection mm -hmm. and i think certainly with his immediate family um they he didn't talk to them about this any of his travels, none. They know nothing about this. And I don't think they wanted to know either. And sensing that certainly would not have helped him to, to have any discussions about his time. And he would have needed to do that to, to release some of that crap that he was holding inside. Uh, I think, I think he did a lot of that with one of his brothers and uh, he, uh, there, there was one uh, a brother-in-law, in fact, that was in the same unit as him just before he joined the war, and they stayed in touch afterwards. So I know there was some communication there, but none of that made that back to the immediate family, and which is why this whole time I've been doing this, they have nothing to offer because mm -hmm. they don't know. They don't know, and quite honestly, they don't want to know. I think it's, it's, it's water under the bridge. We're going to forget about it. Um, complete dishonor to the man. I'm sorry. That's the way I see it. Um, here's somebody that did something not normal and to ignore it as, yeah, he just had a regular life and uh, he was our dad, but we don't know who the hell he was. Uh, that's, that's incomplete. That's incomplete to me. And that uh, this, this will hopefully change that, at least for me. They don't want to know about it. They continue to not know about it. That's that's their issue, right? Um, so it's just sad that that has to go that far. You know, it's it's been so many years. What are you talking, 80 plus years now? You know, you would think that maybe there would be some gap in your life that you'd want to fill with something about your dad, right? So, because I know they didn't hate him, so... But uh, that's just the family dynamic, the way that all turned out. I think that is for other families, too. Oh, mm. certainly. Uh -huh. yeah. Certainly. With less extreme situations. Anyway, back to you. Back, back to me. Back to this. Okay. All right. So, um, yes, I am confident that grandfather went to Posen, went to Stalag 21B for six weeks, got returned home. Hitler released all the, all the Dutch the French, the British that were in the same camp as my grandfather was, they did not get to go home. 
he just favored the Dutch. So uh, these, these lucky buggers got to go home, see their families again. Uh, and and if, as I said before, um, most of them did not play by the rules and they decided to fight the German occupation anyway. And uh, whatever happened, happened. So, so it's good they kept fighting, I like that. Um, yeah, and, and incidentally, if you want to go to Google Earth, you can find this place. You can still see the, the little village. You can still see the training area, old buildings, barracks, all of that. It's all still visible. So that, that's kind of cool to see. So from here, we, we skipped through the fact he joined the resistance. We're going to move through all that because that's a massive story on its own, needs its own time. And in late 1944, he gets arrested. And he gets uh, uh, stuffed onto a train, sent to a place he does not know. We talked about that in the last podcast. So we're going to pick up with him getting off that train. Uh, the train stops. Uh, he doesn't know where it stops. Uh, there's nothing there. There's a truck outside the train, people on the truck. He gets pulled off the train. The people that are on the truck get stuffed back onto this train and the train leaves, heads off somewhere, and he leaves in the back of this truck. Does not know where he's going, uh, does not recognize anything. Uh, they end up going down a little road, and I mean little, little road, to, to essentially uh, the end of the road, and this is what is called the camp. We're gonna call it the camp. We discussed what camps could be earlier on. This is going to be one of those camps. So when he tells us this, of course, the first question is what camp? What's the name of this place? I don't know. And then he segues into not all camps have names. This turns out to be one of them. This camp did not have a name, not an official name. Okay. So I can't just go on Google and type this thing up and learn everything that took me over a year to figure out. So um, we got another mystery. All indications at that time in our session was this was not a big place, not a big place at all. So I came in for a session, Karen, and I asked you, you know, I need to know about this camp. This is a pivotal piece of this investigation. And you ended up, he ended up taking you uh, remote viewing. He started walking you around the place. So you got to see this camp which was absolutely magnificent. This was by far the most significant time you remote viewed for me and was an absolutely miraculous job. So I do not wanna miss any one of these clues and any one of these points because your accuracy is just absolutely tremendous. And, and even last night going through these notes, um, I'm still stunned at how accurate it was. Not, not to say that I didn't think you could do it. Um, it was just absolutely bloody amazing. Now, the one thing to remember is he marched you around the camp, but he also described it as I would see it today, not in 1944. Oh, did he say that? Or just you got the description and didn't know if you were looking into past or present? Now, he hinted at it was, this is what it looks like. 
the reason being is I would never find it. Oh. You know, how would I find this place as it was in 1944 using today's tools? A uh, very, very difficult thing to do. So he was showing you this place so that I could find it and carry on this 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 uh, investigation. So this this was totally miraculous. So this is where we go to uh, item number 12 in the uh, list of things I sent you, Kelly. And item number 12 is a recreation of your drawing, Karen. You, you drew this camp and the, th the things that were around it. The reason I had to recreate it was as we discussed early in this session, this is like one of the early ones we did and there's probably about four scribbles of different things on top of this thing on the same paper. So to show that to anybody would be just an absolute nightmare. So I recreated this drawing the same day that I got this from you. So this wasn't something I created yesterday. So this is very current, very accurate. Um, so hopefully people are seeing this thing or can see it because this is going to be absolutely wonderful. The, what we had was the camp was at essentially the end of a small road. And the road ended in a loop. So like a turnaround, right? Go no further. In this loop, or, or with this loop, there was a large rectangular building with a small shed beside it. As well, there's, there's an area there that on this diagram, if you're looking at it, that looks like it would be rows of trees. He described them as rows of small trees. Like you would, like if you were planting trees all in a nice cute row. Beside that, there would be a small field, but larger than this row of trees. To the back right corner of the diagram, there's a treed area. And through these trees, he identified a path. So there would be a path going from this field through these trees. That's a very important piece as well. Then above all that, you drew an arc, just a simple little arc, and he called that a river. Now me looking at that river, I would never draw a river that looked like that. That's, that's not a river to me, but you drew it that way. And apparently there was a reason for that. Beyond that river, you drew a little thingy, called this a mountain. There's mountains beyond the river. Super technical, proud of you. Yeah. Oh yeah. However, when I when I got this, I just like, oh, let's end this thing right now. I want to go home and try and find this. Um, of course, we had more going on that day. But when I did go home, I started into, all right, where the hell is this thing going to be? Right? Uh, Europe's a big place. We still don't have any idea where this is. So of course, I looked, never found anything. Came back for another session. And he threw out the letter L. Now we've been getting letters throughout this whole thing. One, one stupid letter. Mm -hmm. He threw out the letter L this time as a clue. Nothing more, just L. Um, so I, I wasn't sure what to do with that. Uh, we identified that the mountains, he couldn't physically see them from the camp, but they, it was to know that they were in the distance beyond this river. So now I'm just looking over at my notes here because I don't want to miss any of this. Um, 
this was a place that he said both the people in the camp, which of, there were never more than 15 people in the camp, 15 prisoners, so this is small, but both, all the prisoners, of course, they didn't like it there, but neither did the guards. So that's another indication of just what kind of a crappy little spot this was. Uh, we dove into who the guards were as an indication of what kind of camp this may be because different camps were guarded by different army personnel. And they, they were identified as having the, you know, the eagle on, uh, on the uniform, uh, which is, okay, that's very German. The, the uniforms were uh, a, a, a grayish, grayish green in color, which basically means they're a Wehrmacht, regular German army uh, soldier. So if it was black uniforms, we know we we're into a very, very uh, uh, nasty place because that was, uh, that was uh, worn by the SS and they generally were camp guards for some very shitty locations. You know, Jim, you're rhyming this off like it's common knowledge and I'm just yeah. thinking like, that's not a given to anyone. Like, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's, no, 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 don't apologize. I, and I don't find that you're rushing. That, that's not why I'm saying it. I just, like, this is just as fascinating to me that you would just oh. know this. Um, mm -hmm. well, yeah, it I, just, I find it cool. It does come with years of research. Mm -hmm and watching some horrible movies. Um, right. That, that essentially is research too, to some degree, right? Mm. Um, so, mm. so yeah, uh, all these little things are little indications and little clues as to, you know, you never know which clue is going to lead you to, to the X on the, on, on the ground. So, um, yeah, so we've, we've got all these little clues I'm just making sure I don't remember anything. Again, he stated he was not tattooed. Now, tattooed, I say tattooed. I don't know why I asked that, because that was really the, the Jews that were tattooed and not in every what? prison camp. Yeah, they, they were all tattooed. Yeah, yeah, oh. we're going down a dark and dirty road there. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was not tattooed. He was not given any marks whatsoever on his, uni on his uniform, on the clothing that he was wearing. He was not given a prisoner suit, as I would call it, you know, like coveralls or something like that. Just the clothes that he was arrested in were the ones that he was in camp with, hmm. and he kept those. Um, he was not registered in any way. He didn't go in, sign in, you know, uh, be given a, a name, a number, any, anything like that. Very, very, I'll say unusual to me, very unusual to me. Not standard practice for, you know, generally if you were a prisoner of war, uh, uh, or if you were uh, another prisoner, um, there would be records for you. You know, where'd you come from, who you are, why you're here, right? There wasn't anything like that. So again, I'm going, oh God, here we go. Place number two, no records. Awesome. Because ultimately that's, that's you know, the cherry on the top is is getting that piece of paper that I can march out to the historians or anywhere else to say grandfather was here and you can't tell me he wasn't right so i didn't have that and i at that point i didn't think i was going to get it so other than that he offered a clue uh saying that there were colored buildings nearby colored buildings awesome so 
that's what we had to work with along with your absolutely wonderful diagram. So with that in mind, I had to pick a spot on the map of Europe and start looking for this camp with Jeez. nothing else to go on. And I was actually quite excited about that. That was a, that's a monumental challenge. So again, I decided, well, what's a key part of this diagram that would be a starting point? The river? I didn't choose the river, actually, oh. Karen. <laughs> I chose the mountains. Yeah. Like, choose the, the bigger thing, Karen. Mountains is huge. That's mountains see, this is not my forte. Remote viewing <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, and you do it well. He is uh, good at other things. <laughs> <laughs> so mountains are large and mountains aren't everywhere. So let's pick the mountains. Where's mountains in, in, in the context of the, uh, you know, Germany area? Certainly Czechoslovakia. Oh, I was going to say, I hope this is a rhetorical question. <laughs> Tons of friggin' mountains, right? So I'm going, did he go to Czechoslovakia? I don't think so. In fact, I think he came out and said he didn't go to Czechoslovakia. Mm. So that took that off the list. So I, for whatever reason, automatically took Austria off the list as well. So I was generally working with Germany and Poland at this point. So I went down to southern Germany near Switzerland. Lots of mountains there. And I did, I did probably a couple of weeks of searching on Google Earth. Google Earth, just a fantastic tool. But you can't type in, give me a dead end road with a loop in it and come up with anything, right? There's no way of doing it. You have to physically look. There's a lot of looking. Uh, probably in two, three weeks of looking in southern Germany, I did not find one road that had a loop at the end of it. Not one. Now, I know here in Canada, you find just tons of them. I didn't find one. And I found that very odd. But at the same time, I said to myself, if I do find one, it could be the one. Right? Instead of having 20 to choose from. What a growth mindset, Jim. <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> so, I'll take that compliment. But uh, anyway, I, I changed from southern Germany thinking about the times, the time frame, late 44. Uh, again, we talked about this. Allies are pushing north through Italy, not thinking they're going to send any fresh prisoners to any place close to the southern border when that's the next area that could be compromised. So I'm thinking more central Germany. No, I couldn't find any hills to my liking in central Germany. So then I moved into Poland. And I spent a lot of time in Poland because there's a lot of hills and a lot of mountains in Poland. So he did say this is not a major camp. So I stayed away from major camps. Probably about three, four, uh, you know what, could have even been five weeks of looking on Google Earth. And I mean, a lot of hours every day looking on Google Earth for this dead end circular thingy. Never found one again. And I remember the day, though, I sat there, figured this is the day I'm going to get it. Had a little drink in my hand, scrolling, 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 hours go by. It's lunchtime. The hell with this shit. I spun the mouse and let Google Earth kind of scroll along so I wouldn't have to touch it and just sat back in my chair and watched. And I got up, made a sandwich, sat down. I was in my second bite 
And it's like, oh, what the hell? Bam, hit the mouse. And I'm trying to go backwards where this thing had come from. And sure as shit, there's a circle. Zoom down. I go, oh, look at that. It's at the end of a road. That's awesome. Zoomed again. And I'm going, oh, my God, really? There's a place that looks like it had rows of trees. There's a field that's kind of got the same shape. There's trees all around. Look at that. There's a path through them damn trees. And I was getting real excited now. And, and if people want to follow along, we're into uh, item number 13 now, uh, an aerial view actually of this from Google Earth screenshot. And I'm going, wow, could this really be? But of course, after all this time, you get a little skeptical, right? You know, like, could, could it really be? Not like it was easy, but really, is this the place? I couldn't find the building that matched this large square building that was there. However, however, if you look at that picture, it looks like there used to be a building there. So, okay, I can work with that. And I go, what else do I got to find here for me to know that this is the place? So let me make sure I go through here. I look up and I go, there's a river. There's supposed to be a bloody river. So I, I dig into my little uh, box of maps and stuff that I've been collecting over the years. And, and some of them had nothing to do with anything at the time. And I come up with this aerial photograph and I go, hmm, okay. Okay, I've got an aerial photograph that's taken from a long ways up, okay? Reconnaissance plane was flying a long way up that day. I go, this place is on this map. Okay, cool. Oh, look, there's a river. So I go on Google Earth, I scroll out and I go, there's that damn river. That's amazing. And then I look even further beyond the river in the distance, there's a bloody mountain range. So now I'm like, uh, this is absolutely amazing. We're hitting on all spots right now. So I'm, you know, I can't believe how excited I am at this point because this was getting quite quite discouraging even though it was still exciting so i go okay now we've looked at number 14 the aerial camp i'm going to go and talk about that for a second if you're pulling that one up and you're looking at it there's a circle inside that circle is where this location is looking to the left you will find that river if you look at that river that river is the same shape as that arc that you drew, Karen, on the paper. Mm. So drawing the river that way wasn't so silly after all. It is exactly the same thing. Nice sweeping flow. Beautiful thing. You won't see the mountains on this map because, or this picture, because uh, they're further off. So river, we've got that one nailed down. Excellent. But I, I, I needed more proof. I needed to nail this one down. This is a very important piece of this whole puzzle, this camp. What it was, uh, well, what amazed me, he said he was not in a main camp. However, just on the other side of this river, and I mean just on the other side of the river, is Auschwitz III that was renamed to Monowitz. Absolutely massive facility 
lots of crap going on there. Auschwitz three is like a couple of city blocks from Auschwitz one. So that's right there too. We're talking within 10 kilometers of this location that he's pointing us at. So he may have not been at a major camp, but he was certainly next door to one. And of course, just not, not that far from Auschwitz one is Auschwitz two, which is the one that people refer to as Auschwitz. That's Auschwitz-Birkenau. That's the one with all the, the huge fields of, of, of these large buildings where all the uh, uh, people were kept. And of course the crematoriums and all that stuff, all the nasty is essentially Auschwitz II. And that is right next door to this location that he's showing us. Um, so that kind of, that kind of got me very curious as to what the hell this camp was and what its purpose was and why of all the places he could have gone, he went there. Uh, there had to be a reason. So again, although I'm confident we got the right spot, I'm looking further. So we're moving on to item number 15, which I managed to find a 1942 map uh, of that very area. And the beauty of these old maps is they don't do maps today like they did maps back then. And in fact, now they most people use, uh, uh, you know, electronic maps. But the maps back then, they put the individual buildings on the maps. <laughs> really? <laughs> Another phone call. So anyways, I get this map and this is a zoomed in portion of the map. So we only see the area I'm interested in. And on this map, you find the road. The road doesn't end in a loop because we're talking now, this is 1942, there was no loop there. Okay, the loop is, is, is new. Um, back then the road basically dwindled into a path and carried on. However, in that area where the loop would have been, you see a large building. Uh, the building that is not visible anymore on Google Earth. So I'm like, yeah, right on. Proof that there is a building there. And I've highlighted it with this monstrous arrow on this map. So shouldn't be able to miss that. But that's still not good enough for me, right? Gotta have more. Um, the, the idea of being needing more is I felt that I was on the verge of having to disprove a lot of things in history. Uh, this is an unknown location and we're in an area that is extremely sensitive to not only history, but to people that live there. And I'm about too, I felt like I was about to basically, uh, you know, sh rock the boat. And so I needed to have as much as I could to prove that what grandfather was saying was there, was there to be able to say that he was there, if that made any sense. <laughs> so I'm including item number 16 now. This is another aerial photograph and uh, taken by a reconnaissance aircraft during the war. Now this was a photograph that was taken from another high altitude again, so it's not extreme detail, but zooming in on it gave me a little bit more detail, but it also made it a little fuzzy, but you can still make out what you need to see. Um, 
Again, inside the circle is the location that we're talking about here. And you can clearly make out a large structure and a small structure beside it, which I would call the shed that he was talking about. And it is exactly where it's supposed to be. So I'm confident the building was there. However, he gave us more clues, right? Colored buildings. Mm -hmm. That was kind of cute, colored buildings. Now back to Google Earth, which I used a ton. The people at Google were so absolutely nice this time. And at some point drove down that itty bitty trail to where this little circle was and came back. And if you've ever seen the, the guys doing the job for Google Earth, you know, the small cars with a massive thing on the roof with all the cameras. Well, they had gone down this road. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Google. And if you dive down to street view on this road, when you get on Google Earth, you will go past what is called or what used to be called, I don't know if it's still called this anymore, rainbow riding stables. And just by virtue of the name, you think colors. Well, take a look at it. It's got lots of colors on both the gate and on the one building. So this is colored buildings if I've ever seen it. And that is right beside this building that no longer exists. So, I mean, I don't know how many pieces of evidence we've got so far, but there's quite a few. Um, absolutely magnificent. Um, now, this one I did not include. This one you can see, I'm actually going to give the coordinates to this location. So uh, people can get on their own time if they want, fire up Google Earth, punch in the coordinates and, and see for themselves exactly what I'm talking about. And with Google Earth at the top, you'll see a spot where you hit a little button, it's a timeline and you can move the slider and you can see all the different years that the satellite's gone by and recorded this very location. And you can see the changes in this location over the years. And the beauty of that is that it, it also does certain times of the year. And how do I explain this? If you took a tractor and you drove it across a field uh, 20 times following the exact same path, to you, it would have looked like you just knocked down a bunch of plants, right? Well, next year, if you viewed that from satellite, that very spot, you would see a mark in that field, even though it's not there visibly to you standing there. And uh, uh, you'll see those tractor marks. Well, when you do that at this location, you will also see where this building was supposed to be. And uh, that, that's absolutely magnificent tool. Well, going back to uh, Google Earth, we get on that road, get on street view, have a look off towards the field through a bunch of trees that are there now, and you will see rows of small trees planted that are in the same spot that you drew, Karen, on that diagram. Now, why that's important? Because if you go view Google Earth now, you won't see those trees. They've been removed. So that's one thing to go, well, yeah, I don't see the damn trees, so maybe it's not the spot. Mm -hmm. But they were there. So that's good for me.
one more thing. One more thing. We talk about this building that doesn't exist. And this is, it turns out to be a very important building. Um, Google Earth Street View again, same location. When that team from Google drove up that road, they got a picture of the ruins of that building. There's bricks and small bits of concrete in piles, as well as a pile of ash. It is quite clearly it's ash from a burned out building. Um, so that building was there. This is the spot. Beyond a doubt in my mind, this is the location he went. There are far too many pieces of evidence that, that line up here with this diagram. Uh, it's all there. The path in the woods, not that easy to see. Move the timeline, you'll see the path. It goes right through the trees in the very same spot that you put it on the diagram. Absolutely magnificent. Um, the circle, the little circle at the end, um, that has changed over the years uh, because the people living there have made changes to the property. And if you use the old map I showed and Google Earth, you will see that that road used to exist. It ran right past that building, carried on through the bush and, and, and branched off onto another road. That's the way it would have been when grandfather was there. So uh, accuracy here, accuracy here, absolutely phenomenal accuracy. Um, everything, everything lined up, absolutely everything. There wasn't a missed piece in any of this. Um, so now what do I do with that? Uh, I made contact with the historical society at Auschwitz, at the Auschwitz Museum in Poland. And unfortunately, I was talking with a historian there, very prominent historian, magnificent guy. Uh, probably about fourth week I was talking with him, he died. So I lost all contact and everybody else that was around him didn't want to take this discussion up. Um, I guess he was willing to deal with this, but nobody else is. And the reason is, is this location is probably 300 yards outside of what they call the area of interest, area of interest regarding Auschwitz. Um, so it's not been included into their historical studies. Now, the only good thing about that is, um, is, is that this is, this is fresh, but it also makes it even more uh, of, a, of a challenge. And, and, and that's, uh, that gets me every time. Uh, the problem with it is though, is now I'm gonna to have to push this as uh, a significant site. The pushback from that is, is the people that live here probably don't want that. They don't wanna have any contact with that time again, period, end of story there's still a great amount of fear in different parts of Europe. Anytime you talk about the Second World War, people still think that reprisals can come against them for God knows whatever reason. Um, so there's a lot of people that don't wanna talk about this. There's a lot of people that do, but there's a lot of people that don't. 
And if I had to put myself in the, in the property owner's shoes right now, I would like to say that I'd want this to go away. Um, like, just leave me alone already. Because that whole area is, is inundated with this history. Mm. And uh, it's not a nice history. So it'll be something that you would want to move on from. So I don't know if the people that currently live there know anything about the property back in the 40s. I don't know but I'm sure somebody in this area does. So down the road, looking forward, I'm gonna go here and I want to talk with people and see if they can tell me about this property. Was there a building? Well, I know there was, but tell me about this building. Do you have any photos of this building, right? I just like to pad all of that, even though I know it's there. I just I just feel the need to need to pad it all, right? Close off any little uh, loops, loopholes. So again, we've got this camp. He says he's at a camp, but we know nothing about this camp. History knows nothing about this camp. Um, so this is a humongous hurdle we gotta we gotta cross now. So another session comes along, and uh, I have to figure out how I'm going to attack this. Uh, how am I going to get the information I need to need with regards to this place to be able to properly identify it, to go forward with it? And so, of course, Grandpa, what was the purpose of this camp? Why was this place here? Right, straightforward. Um, no purpose really came out from that question. Instead, as he often did, he chose to answer uh, by providing different information, not a direct answer, right? Should not have expected any differently. Um, so here we go. Like, I don't want to talk. Can I interest you in a drawing? <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. Eh? <laughs> Just send that shit to me in a dream, you know, like <laughs> something. But uh Okay, what was the purpose? Let's reword it. What happened here, right? What <laughs> happened in his camp, right? Like, I'm going to be smarter than Grandpa. I'm going to just change the wording. Well, we ended up talking about what he did when he was there. And he was apparently given the job of a functionary, essentially someone that worked for the camp, even though he was a prisoner. Okay. So there were many types of functionaries. And uh, I asked what kind of functionary he, he was. And he said, well, I wore a white armband. And uh, not, nothing special, just a white rag of sorts tied around my arm, you know, around here. And researching that, that comes back to uh, people that wore the white armbands were generally connected with a hospital. So it's just like, what the hell? There's no hospital here. You know, why are you like a hospital functionary? Um, so onward we went with that. Well, what did you do then as a hospital functionary? What did you physically do while you were there? And he was given tasks to perform by the guards there. And he went alone on these assignments. So either there was a hell of a lot of trust that he wasn't just going to bugger off, which I would have done, or there was absolutely no way that he could have left. There was nowhere to go. 
Um, so I believe it was the latter because if he had the opportunity to leave, I'm sure he would have. Um, so he's off performing these tasks. Well, where are you performing these tasks? Well, if you research this area further, you will find, oh God, there's probably within a 30 square kilometer area around this camp, there's probably 40 camps, all serving different purposes. Some of them absolutely massive and some of them tiny like this one. Some of them were mines, coal mines. And uh, which in fact, uh, Yanina Group is how it's pronounced, starts with a J, is a coal mine that is just down the road from this camp. Okay, and it's still there today, you can see it. Um, that was one of the places you had to go. Uh, well, what did you do when you went to this place? Well, sometimes he was just delivering packages, delivering messages, and sometimes he was delivering people. And this is where we get into the not so nice things. Um, sometimes he had to pick up a person, a prisoner from one of these other camps and take him to a different camp because now they're being assigned to work there instead of where they were for whatever reason. Other times he was picking up prisoners at these camps and I'll use the coal mine as an example. Go to the coal mine, pick up this prisoner because that particular prisoner had been deemed no longer useful. And you know what that means. No longer useful means you're not gonna be used for anything else. You're going to be eliminated. So, and that's a nice way of putting that. Um, his job would have been to escort this person either to a truck or on foot back to another location where they would eventually be dealt with. Sometimes this person was no longer living and he would have had the task of picking the body up, tossing it into the back of a truck mm -hmm. and the truck would go somewhere. Now staying with that thought, sometimes the somewhere was written back to the camp that he was at. This itty bitty camp with one stupid building and a shed. So well, why the hell would you bring a dead body back to this building? Now, the reason I ask that question is, down the road, you got Monowitz a little bit further. And I mean, just a little bit further, you got Auschwitz. They got crematoriums and they're being used every day to burn mm -hmm. bodies. Why would you bring a dead body back to this building, right? No crematorium in here. What are you doing with his body? Why is it here? And that remained a question for quite a while, actually. And it plays into uh, trying to figure out what the purpose of this little camp is. So that was one of his assignments to do. And he came right out and said, I absolutely hated going into that building. Despised it. And he was also not allowed to go into this building unless he was invited to go into this building. It was off limits. So there's something in there he's not supposed to see. Yet periodically he's bringing bodies in there. If not throwing them in the shed, apparently. They stacked them up in the shed. So I mean, maybe we should have a little disclaimer here saying some of this content is not pretty. Um, 
but it is what it is. Um, so clearly his job is not very nice, not very nice at all. But he came out and said as well, he had no choice. You do this job or we eliminate you. You do this job and we're probably going to eliminate you anyway. The idea being that we leave no evidence behind, right? And much like they did with the uh, the prisoners that were given the same similar tasks in Auschwitz to bring people into the crematoriums and then go through their belongings while they were being gassed. Um, these people had knowledge that this kind of event was taking place mm -hmm. and the Germans were doing everything to hide this. So eventually their turn came and they were stripped of their position and they were tossed in the crematorium as well. So he was, he was kind of facing the same fate. Um, so yeah, not, not, not very nice at all. Now, the fact that he said he went into this building brought up, of course, the question, what did you see in this building? What does this building look like? Well, the outside of the building was described as, as a square building, uh, brick, a, a brick and, a, and wood structure, steel roof. And the inside, however, had all the walls removed. So all the interior walls were removed. So it would essentially be like one big room. All the windows were boarded up and sealed. So clearly, didn't want anybody to see inside this thing. Why would you need a building like that with no rooms in it? Just one big stinking room. What, did, what was in there? Um, he described a small kind of kitchen area off in the one corner. Well, I know immediately what that kind of thoughts I was having with that. Bodies, kitchen area. They're not cooking them. However, right, what do you do in a kitchen with meat? So we never got any proof that that was going on. However, he did identify that also in this building were boxes, boxes of papers, boxes that had jars of human samples in them. Now, when I talked about having to know as much as I can about this camp, there's, this is one of the reasons to say these things is bringing up a very awful piece of history that an awful lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out because they were looking, they were looking for blood, looking for uh, uh, to, to catch the people that are involved with this kind of activity. And so I, I was treading lightly when we got to this, very lightly. So I did not know how far into that I wanted to go um, because it, it could do nothing but bring up controversy, especially when this is something nobody knows anything about, or at least we, they have not acknowledged, right? So, okay, fine. You've described the building. Um, did anybody ever come to this building, visit this building? Because we haven't had any indication of that so far. Yes, periodically, an officer would come up in a staff car. I'm like, okay, well, it's a camp. You know, as a commanding officer, maybe you want to drive around and see your sights, right? I can see that. So what, what kind of officer was this? Well, he was wearing a black uniform. No, nah, awesome. Now we're talking uh, 
so some some of the more prominent Nazis, uh, members of the SS, go. That's not necessarily a good thing. However, now I'm starting to mentally connect this little camp to one of the larger camps. This camp had some satellite purpose, as many of them did, to one of the main camps, especially to have this kind of officer come and visit this stupid little building in the middle of nowhere. Sealed building, no less. However, it contained, contained paperwork, files, and samples. So I, I knew what I was thinking. Um, so, okay, well, what did this guy look like? And this was actually kind of an interesting day when we asked this question. Karen, you went and asked, show me this guy. He ends up standing on the step. I guess we're two, maybe three steps to get into the main door to this building. He's standing on the step and he blows smoke in your face because he's smoking a cigarette. And I remember your reaction. It would have been if I was smoking a cigarette and blowing it in your face. Mm -hmm. That's how you responded. And you, you, know, you were coughing. And going, okay, great. We got a smoker. Yeah, it doesn't really narrow it down in the military. <laughs> um, but we got a member of the SS. And I go, well, what's his name? Has he got a name tag? You know, ask him his name. And we got something that sounded like Mangala. And at this point, I had to stop, sit back, and go, you know, there was an ounce of, I don't believe that in Who's me. Mangala. Well, you'll find out in a second. I'll, I'll uh, okay. Mangala was the target of everybody, especially the Israelis after the war. He was a uh, well-known Nazi, a doctor, not even know if he was qualified, that conducted human experiments in Auschwitz. And he was targeted as one of the people that they needed to get, needed to bring to trial, needed to kill, to close that all off for all the people that he affected. And the brief history on this, this, this gentleman was, as the war was coming to a close and the Soviets got to the location of Auschwitz, where Mengele was, he had buggered off. He'd escaped. He knew that the Soviets were coming. He was running for his life. Um, he never made it out of Germany, but he made it through the roadblocks that the Allies had set up. There's a movie about this. Yeah, well, there certainly is. I watched it. Cool. Which one was is, that? Is that, the, is that a real name? Like that's... Uh, it's not pronounced differently. Oh, okay. No, that's, that's the gentleman. Jessica Chastain was in it. Oh, I don't know. I don't know actors' names. I'm okay. horrible with that. Um, there are several movies that cover this and many, many, many documentaries. And so because it's a prominent name, this is why I sit back and I go, oh, wait a second. You know, it's too, too easy to create a, a Forrest Gump kind of scenario, right, where one man is everybody. Everybody mm -hmm. big turns into this one person. And I didn't want to fall into that trap. But the pieces were starting to point in that direction regardless. Um, we know he kept samples and sent them back to a buddy of his at the university in Germany uh, as part of the studies. Part of the, He was a person that he worked under before the war. Uh, he also was described by you, Karen, as having injuries, injuries that were consistent with the injuries we know he had. 
his face also matched the description that we know to be him. What? Yeah. So, and you not knowing who the hell this is, uh, well, there's credibility there, right? I mean, how, how could you possibly be describing this person if it wasn't him? So, yeah, we, we were heading down a, a very dirty and dangerous road at this point with this mm -hmm. investigation. Because like I was getting on to say, this guy was hunted and hunted horribly. Um, now, all SS members had to meet the criteria to become SS. He met the criteria. But then they all had to be tattooed on their arm, on their forearm, with a special number that was only the SS. He didn't have that tattoo, and that saved his life at that point in time. For whatever reason, he managed to not get one. And he made it through the Allied checkpoints because they were looking specifically for SS personnel, and they were looking for them by virtue of the tattoo that should have been there. He didn't have it, so he got away. Now there's contradictory information as to where he went. You know, uh, somewhere in South America, apparently he ended up, ended up dying down there. Some people still contest that he didn't, but uh, uh, it's pretty sure that he did. But nonetheless, he survived. And uh, for this uh, gentleman to have been at this location, the time frame matches. The 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 reason for this building being there. Uh, sort of matches with the way he operated. But this would ultimately become a location that nobody knows about where evidence of his work was stored. Mm. And that is why this is dangerous. Um, so that's not going to stop me, but it might change the direction I go with it, right? So we have him being there. We have a better description of this building. So now we start to develop more of a purpose as to why this camp existed. Go back to the bodies, bringing the bodies, throwing them in this little shed, sometimes bringing them into this building, building having a kitchen. Well, you got bodies, you get body parts. Another thing was is why certain bodies coming to this place and not all the bodies coming to this place, right? Well, somebody, some, some, some of these uh, people had gold in their teeth. Well, the easy way to get it out is after they die, right? And that was a common thing. Even in the crematoriums, they'd be yanking the gold out of the teeth. And uh, this all got melted down and turned into money for the German war effort or filled someone's coffers, right? Maybe Mengele had his own personal storage going that nobody knew about, and he wanted it that way. Who knows? Don't know. But he had his own little stash by the sounds of things. So that, that makes this a very interesting place. It also makes a very good reason why nobody would want to talk about it, especially nobody in the area, if they do about it, would want to stick their hand up and say, yeah, by the way, there's this place right down the road for me. Um, so that, that plays into the troubles with carrying on this investigation in that direction. So I decided that, okay, let's, let's, let's go just a, a little bit further here and go, who else was in this camp? You say there were 15. 
15 people on and off. And it were always the same 15 people. These 15 people, they, they fluctuated. Some came and some went. So we don't know what happened to them. And, uh, you know, give me a name of somebody that was there, you know. Maybe we can talk. You and I, Karen, we, we can talk to this other person. And maybe they can give us something. Try to, try to approach this from a different angle. And uh, we ended up getting the name of Giovanni Kovic. I'm going, Giovanni Kovic, you know, okay, fine. Kovic, that's, that's cool. It's, it's kind of, to me, that was like a Serbian kind of name in that kind of location, Yugoslavic. Um, the information, though, was that he, you know, this gentleman, you know, had dual citizenship. Uh, so he's, you know, he's got, uh, got, got roots in different countries. Okay, why are you here, Mr. Kovic? Well, apparently he's supposed to have known things. And his mother was supposed to be a well-known nuclear researcher. Going, okay, that's interesting. However, to this day, I cannot connect the dots between that name and anybody that was involved in that field. So that's, that's something I'm still working on. That's kind of a sidebar. We poked and prodded this gentleman for quite a while. We got little tidbits about his character and that sort of thing. And eventually it sounded like he did not want to talk about this. Um, so he didn't, he stopped. Um, he did survive the war and he did make it back to North America. So there's family somewhere that knows something. Maybe somebody, maybe somebody will watch this. Maybe somebody knows something, who knows? But we turned up getting it. It was a dead end for us with respect who else was in this camp. So as far as defining a purpose of this camp, I think I had to settle on the fact that this was a place that was a storage location for stuff that one person did not want to see, that want anybody else to see. Why we had to have 15 prisoners here, I don't know. Maybe they were assigned to different duties like my grandfather was. Don't know. Um, but ultimately, this camp came with no name, varied purpose maybe, very small, but he was not there very long. So we go back to the main timeline of World War II. If he's arrested in late 44, and by late 44, I'm thinking November 44, um, and there's reason for that because he shows up in a picture that was taken in September 44. So we know he wasn't in this camp. Mm -hmm. um, so November 44, I take he, that he was started on this, this, uh, this, uh, this trip to this camp. Very shortly after he had gotten there, the Soviets were, were moving right through from the east pushing towards Germany. So they were squeezing the, squeezing the Germans back into their own country at this point. Well, Poland sits outside of what Germany used to be, very close to the Soviets. So they were marching through Poland very fast. And this camp was in Poland. So we also know that camps further to the east of this one had already been evacuated. So what was going to happen with this place? Um, now I have a date somewhere and I did not write it down, but it would be in late December of 44. No, sorry. Early January, January 
20-something, <laughs> January 20-something, Auschwitz was liberated by 45? the Soviets. Yes, 45. So that would be three-quarters of the way through January 45, Auschwitz being liberated, formally liberated by the Soviets, this camp being 10K before Auschwitz in the Soviets' track, somewhere in there, things had to happen. So grandfather highlights that and says, well, one day the Germans burned this building down, which is why it's not there anymore. They burned it down and the next morning they were gone. We all got up from wherever they were sleeping in a field, I guess, and the Germans were gone. There were no guards. Now the camp didn't have fences, so all they had to do was walk away. However, the mentality of a lot of them were is this was their sole provider in life now, was these Germans were like their, their providers, their food, their shelter, their safety, even though they really didn't care about them. This is all they had. So many of them did not want to leave. My grandfather said, to hell with that, I'm out of here. And he just stood up and walked away. Now, I think another person went with him. I do not know who that is. Um, but ultimately, he left. So he started his road, I'll say, home at this point. Um, so to time out there for a second, we've identified where this camp is, and I will provide those coordinates. Um, we've identified what's around this camp. We've sort of identified what went on with this camp, but we don't really know everything but it's still an absolutely key piece of this entire story to be able to prove that he went somewhere again and this is where it was. So from here, I will still be tying in, still poking away at the historical people and saying, look, you need to take a look at this place. What do you have that, uh, you know, that may be obscurely written in a record somewhere, right? What do you know about Mangala? Right? Can we tie these things together? Uh, really, I don't care about this guy. But I do care about this camp in, in, in my grandfather's connection to it. Um, Jim, did, yes. you ever, did you ever find out what the L was? Yes, the L. Uh, just down the road in the other direction is the village of Libya's. Starts with an L. That's what I believe the L stands for. Uh, that was his way of saying zero in. L, look for something L. Libya's not very far at all within walking distance from this camp. Mm -hmm. uh, the place still exists today. And there were many camps around that as well. They had their own camps in, in, in Libya's. And I don't remember what they all did. Cool. There were so, so many things. Um, so the camp, absolutely magnificent uh, uh, drawing, uh, remote viewing, spectacular, absolutely spectacular. Um, and, and I know every time we did this afterwards, you know, was equally spectacular. Just, uh, you know, I knew I could count on the accuracy. And when I got something, I knew don't, don't screw around with it. It's just the way you care under it, right? Don't, don't create something out of nothing here. Mm -hmm. So absolutely magnificent. Um, but I do want to mention one more thing with regards to this camp. And it's a little hard to describe, but when we were asking him, what he did when he was there. 
he had you kind of kind of take a teaching position with me and you you kind of like held your paper up and you said so say here's this camp and you put an x on a paper here's this camp right here he would have to walk or take a truck if it was a long ways but mostly he walked to other camps in the area to do these deeds and you would go like over here you know say over here or maybe over here or maybe over here and you put x's in each one of those spots right the short story of that is so when I took that home and I took a look at that, I looked at it many times, and I pulled up a map that I have stored here that shows all the camps in that area. And I could, when I scaled your paper down correctly, lay it right over top of that map, and everywhere you put an X was where there was a known camp. And why, why I did that I have no idea, but it was it was absolutely phenomenal, right? So we've got X over here, Bulbrek, X over here, Unina Group, one over here, another shoe factory, right? Another way here, another mine, and they all laid out, and and it's like if they were off, they were off by millimeters, right? So fantastic, and this is why I say, and I've said in the past, you know. Your information is more than just what comes out of your mouth. Your information is more than what goes on paper. You know, yeah. look into it. There's a reason why it came the way it came. And uh, all of this has worked in my favor, but I had to be able to recognize that or I would have missed all of that mm -hmm. and missed so much of this. So, and, I, and I'm sure you don't know that you're doing it that way. No. It's, it, it certainly doesn't appear that way which makes it even more fun, right? You so. know what, Jim? I haven't got a clue. It, it literally is why people call it or why we refer to it as channeling because the your grandpa really does get to use um, not just my mind, but the bo my body. And so right. including my hand or the facial expressions or what comes out of my mouth or by using my hand to actually put things on a piece of paper. So when you really are channeling, it's all of who you are. Oh, yes. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I learned that. Um, but you know, all of what I've brought up, all the clues that I've brought up, these are the prominent ones. Um, all the little things that have gone on in, in between all of these massive, absolutely massive amount of information and it all ties together but i couldn't present all that in a podcast we'd be here for for as long as it's taken me to investigate this because mm. um, none of it makes set, any sense without explaining each individual one there's just so much and it's so so absolutely magnificent as a matter of fact when we talk about that camp again when i've i wrote it on my board here i just forgot to look over there the very first session i came to see you one of the clues when I asked, tell me about your time in the war, and you remember he rambled off a bunch of things that made no sense, showed up on my blue spider behind me. One of them that isn't on there was that uh, he was outside in the winter, left to freeze. In this camp, he would have been there in the winter, outside. He does not get to stay in any building. He was left outside to freeze. So the very first day he touched on this and that all came full circle 
And now we've got a place to put that clue. Which is right in this camp. So this again makes it even more important to take this 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 large book here of 70 some pages uh, of notes on our sessions with regards to this investigation and keeping every single one of them. And such that when I get a clue, like say today I did a session with you and I get notes, I look at that, but now I have to go backwards. Mm -hmm. And I gotta go through all of these, if I don't remember them, uh, all of these to see whether there's something that ties in with the clues I got today. Because this is just one more dimension in how he's presenting these riddles and clues. Um, so you have to be aware of all that, um, which, which is even more magnificent, which is why I keep these diagrams that some of them look absolutely brutal. And uh, it's like, I'm not throwing that shit out because that's going to mean something somewhere, someday. Can we grab the coordinates of the camp? Yes, we can. Let me see here. And I'm actually, you know what, I'll send them to you, but I'm also read them out here. Yeah. Okay. Now, with GPS, it's GPS coordinates. So we're talking latitudes and longitudes here. Okay. You so telling got, us or the listeners? <laughs> I'm telling the listeners, right? <laughs> Unless you're that interested, but I can send you the link and you can go right there. Um, 50 degrees, five minutes, 19 seconds, 0.88 north so we got 50 05 19.88 north by 19 degrees 16 52.31 east now that's a mouthful and i don't know if anybody will understand that um so here's a clue if you go to google earth and you type in libyas okay libyas poland it's pronounced just the way it sounds or that didn't sound right at all <laughs> spelt just the way it sounds yes no doubt we're way over here so libya's poland type that in when you find libya's poland head in the direction i may see here southwest about two kilometers southwest of libya's and you will be at or very near this camp. And so if you go to the picture, you'll be able to find it based on the picture on Google Earth and given that direction. And from there, you know, look around, check it out, verify it yourself. Maybe you'll see something I didn't see. Um, but compare it with a diagram. By all means, compare it with Karen's diagram and you'll see just how astonishingly accurate that is. So, yeah, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, thank you again, over and over again. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Maps, diagrams, thing of beauty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we came to value, or we've come to value those very much. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. So am I correct in saying that our next, uh, our next podcast will be the journey home or not quite yet, Jim? We are going to first, we're going to start the journey home, probably partway through that podcast, but we're going to get into uh, one of the possibilities as 
tried to explain how he got to this camp and why he didn't know he was going there and where he was going. Okay. I did not want to do that ahead of this mm-hmm. because it would have destroyed the story. Okay. And it was, I didn't discover this until after this anyway. So we'll, we'll touch on that. That won't be very long. And then we'll be starting his, his journey home, which is still a monumental adventure. Sounds good. Thank you for your time. And the resistance group, Jim? The resistance group, we're, we're leaving them, them wonderful people behind. Oh, right. I, I value their time and they all need to have their story, not just my grandfather. Yeah. And so we may show the photo of them. And uh, if you do see the photo of, of, of them, he is the gentleman back row standing far left. And uh, just quickly on that, there is some controversy as to who this guy is, because understand that the photo when it was taken does not come with a, you know, pass around the clipboard and put your name here. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to identify yourself, identification is certain death. And um, so we're left with history and people coming out and saying, that's my dad, that's my grandmother, that's, you know, that's my grandfather. Okay. So you have myself identifying this as my grandfather and you have one other person in Holland saying this is his dad. Oh. And this can be a whole different segue. Mm-hmm. There's controversy. I don't know who, I don't know how it will turn out. Um, but I know what I have for proof. I have no idea what he has because he won't offer any, <laughs> mm. which makes Jim, me question it. Am I remembering yeah. correctly when you showed me the picture? Uh, that he identified himself and other people and what they did? He identified everyone in the photo, including himself. And yes, we talked uh, briefly about what these people did. It was like a pilot or a doctor. Like he pointed out and said, this was the doctor, this was the pilot. Like he identified them. Yeah, there are two pilots, two pilots in there from a downed aircraft. And And they're they're not part of that. Yeah, they're not part of the resistance. They were there at the time and were asked to be in the photo and they showed up in the photo. Right. And uh, yeah, well, I won't go any further with that one. (laughs) Okay, cool. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me uh, talk about this story. Excellent. We look forward to the next one. Oh, yes. (laughs) Have a good day, Jim. Yeah, we'll see you later. Well, wasn't that a fantastic show? Holy moly. Um, There's two more. We are going to be really working, as Jim mentioned, on getting his grandfather home in the last two shows. And there's so much more evidence and information coming for you. Please stay tuned.